With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm your typical 21-year-old American girl. I grew up in the suburbs and had a pretty nice upbringing. Unfortunately, I had been a total party girl up until the time I turned 20. That was when I started getting my stuff together. I nearly died of alcohol poisoning one night and despite being surrounded by some of my friends, nobody even bothered to help me. Even when it was obvious that something was wrong, I'm not going to lie to you, I was a really crummy person when I was younger. One of the things I remember doing with my friends was teasing a really unpopular kid. I get asked out by a fair amount of guys and I'm not the ugliest girl in the world. My friends and I all had an Algebra 2 class towards the end of high school and one of the boys in it always seemed to be checking me out. I really regret being mean and teasing him because he was honestly a pretty nice kid, just kind of socially awkward and completely lacking in any sense of fashion or style. One day after class, my friends and I were talking about a party for that weekend. He must have been listening in on our conversation because he came up to me and asked if I needed someone to go to the party with. I don't really know what he was expecting, but I went with it on a whim. I told him that I really needed a nice guy to go with me so people would think I have a boyfriend. He agreed to go with me and said that he would pick me up before the party. We exchanged phone numbers and that was that. My friends and I were already plotting on how we were going to embarrass him on the night of the party. I told him that it was a professional party. He told me that he had to go out and buy a tuxedo then. Me, being the horrible person I was back then, totally agreed. He picked me up in his mom's car before the party on Friday night. He even brought me flowers. It was at that point that I started to feel guilty and kind of wanted to abandon the whole thing. I couldn't do it though. My friends would have been really mad at me. They got two giant tubs of mayonnaise that they were going to pour on top of him. It was my job to have him stand for a picture and get him in the right position. Then, I will tell them that I had to go to the bathroom real quick and for him to stay in place, and that's when my friends were going to pour the mayonnaise on him. Again, I regret that whole role I played in this whole thing. I even felt guilty at the moment when I walked away, and I actually went to the bathroom. I didn't want to watch it happen. From what I heard, he started crying and went back to his car and drove home immediately. I thought that would have sent some kind of a signal that I really wasn't interested in dating him. Well, he didn't quite get that signal, because he still kept trying to talk to me and go out on another date. He even tried asking me where I went that night and it made me feel even worse than I already did because he didn't even realize that I was in on the joke. Like he thinks he randomly got mayonnaise. As guilty as I felt, I just tried to ignore him and hope the problem would go away on its own. We only had another month or so of algebra and it was 
every other day, so I figured the number of times I had to see him were limited. Well, he never actually got the hint. He found me on Facebook and messaged me on there. He somehow found my phone number, which I still don't quite understand how he did it either. Suffice to know that he still regularly made an attempt to date me for a very long time. I tell you this story not for fun or to brag, but because this guy, Donald was his name, continued his interest in me for six years. Still, even to this very day, we've been out of high school for years now and he still messages me or reaches out in some way every few weeks. After I started getting my life together, I tried explaining to him that I wasn't interested in him, but he never really got the message. I work a night shift job now, at a gas station on the edge of town. For the most part, we only really ever got truckers and the occasional traveler. Anything else is pretty rare, but sometimes on certain nights, around 3 o'clock in the morning, Donald will show up, and he's not looking to get gas, he's looking to get me. It's only happened three times now, but they were honestly pretty horrifying and I nearly called the police the last time. I think I will if he shows up again. The first time he showed up where I worked, he tried pretending like it was a coincidence, like, oh hey, I didn't know you worked here, I was just buying one candy bar at a gas station at 3 o'clock in the morning, you know, the usual. That night was really weird. The second time he came by, he told me that it was a long drive from his house to the gas station, but he said that it was worth it because the candy bars at this gas station were the best. Bear in mind, this guy was buying plain Hershey milk chocolate candy bars every time he came in, and not in bulk either, literally just one every single time he came in. Like, could you get any weirder? This last time that he came though, that was the time that really freaked me out. He's a lot rougher now that he's been out of high school. I think he works at some kind of manual labor job, or maybe he's just a dirty person. He always looks really disheveled when he comes in. And he walked into the gas station, bought his usual chocolate bar, but instead of leaving, he just stood there. I was standing at the cash register, just kind of awkwardly waiting for him to go, but I handed him back his change and receipt and just watched him stand there and stare at me like dead on staring me in the eye. I felt extremely uncomfortable and didn't know exactly how to end the social interaction. I asked him if he needed anything else, but he just said no and then continued staring at me. That was when he reached over the counter and tried holding my hand. I could tell by the look on his face that he had some sort of intimate intentions in his mind, something devious. As freaked out as I was, I pulled my hand back as fast as I could and told him that he had to go. Why are you going to be like that? I love chasing you, but you got to give in one day, he said to me. That was when I told him that I was not interested in him at all, and the only reason I went on a date with him was because I was in on the joke to pour the mayonnaise on him. I told him that I wouldn't date him if he was the last guy on earth and that I would never be interested in him. I saw his facial expression go from nefarious to angry. He knocked a bunch of gum off of the gum rack before storming out. Before he walked out the door though, he stopped and looked me right in the eye and said, I'll have you one day, you little pretty princess. And then he left. I had no idea how to respond. I don't even know what to do about the situation. He's not really doing anything illegal, I don't think, other than knocking things over. If I see him again, though, 
I might have to call the police. If this isn't stalking, then it comes pretty darn close. And the part that kills me about the whole thing is that I just want to put that phase of my life behind me. I don't want to think about being popular or partying or being mean to kids like him. I just want to save up some money, get my life together, and maybe find a good boyfriend, but yeah. That's my ongoing situation with a very creepy guy I played a prank on from high school. And looking back, I never should have gone along with it. I should have followed my intuition and done the right thing. Instead, I guess I have to pay my dues for what I have done in some way. Maybe this is some weird form of justice. Anyone who's ever worked a night shift job will tell you that it eventually gets old. I remember being really excited about starting my first night shift job. I thought it would be so cool, like that episode of Spongebob with the hash-slinging slasher or something. It is nothing like that. In fact, it got plain old repetitive after a while. I'm a male nurse and I had been working in a hospital nearby. It was a long commute and extremely unbearable. Once I finished my contract with the hospital, which was a year, I decided to apply for another job. One that was a little less stressful and disorganized as the hospital. I got a job at a child psychiatric unit. Working with children with mental illnesses seemed like a really cool job. Maybe cool isn't even the right word, but meaningful. The hospital left me with this feeling of trying to save people who were going to die anyway. But with these kids, I could make a real difference that might turn their life around or find a way to let them cope with whatever is wrong with them. I was all around excited about it. The pay was even higher, which had me really excited too. The only problem was that the only shift available was night shift. The hiring manager told me that there might be a day shift position available within a couple of months and I would be the first one to get it if it opened up, but that was about it. So there I was, helping kids, at night. The only problem was that they were all asleep for the most part. The only time I got to do anything was when one of them woke up or started misbehaving. This very quickly became the most boring job I've ever worked in my life. About a month went by when something moderately frightening happened. It was a night like any other. I was sitting at my desk charting some stuff I'd done with the kids earlier that night. I heard a noise that I didn't quite recognize at first. It sounded like some of the kids were wrestling or something, but on the bed. I got really anxious as I didn't want to go in there and see some kids actually doing something they obviously shouldn't be doing if you get my drift. Call me cynical, but that's where my mind went immediately. But when I got in there, I saw something I don't think I can ever unsee. I turned the light on to see one of the older kids who was trying to smother another one. The kid that was doing the smothering had no previous instance of violent behavior. I didn't personally know these kids well enough because I didn't work during the day, but I knew their cases well enough that the kid doing the smothering had bipolar disorder. It was pretty severe, but he had never had a violent outburst like this. It was just so unusual. I immediately pulled him off the other kid and then he started fighting me. He reached around his own head and punched me in the nose at a weird angle. This kid had to have been 11 or 12 years old and I was honestly surprised at how much force he had behind his punch. He didn't break my nose, but he definitely bloodied it up. 
My adrenaline kicked in after that and I was able to restrain him without a problem. I called for a nurse from another unit in the building to come over and help me. It felt like it was forever waiting for this other nurse, but she got over within a few minutes, and the entire time I was waiting though, I couldn't help but to look at this little kid who had nearly murdered another. When the other nurse got over, we gave him some medication that would knock him out and put him to sleep. I asked the other nurse, Carla, what I was supposed to do, and she was there for a few years before me and I assumed she would have a good answer. We just did everything you can do. Violent outbursts don't get kids thrown out of here. I was a little shocked. I argued with her a little, but that was that. I tried talking to the kid that was being smothered, and he honestly didn't have a whole lot to say about it. He said that he didn't really know the other kid that well, but they never had a negative incident up until this night. And this was a few years back now, and I cannot ever forget how I almost watched that kid die. But if I had been just a few minutes later, he probably would be dead right now. It wasn't long after that experience that I started looking for another job. I got one a few weeks later and did my best to explain the situation to my case manager. She didn't seem to understand or care, but apparently it's not my problem anymore. When I was in college, I worked the night shift one summer vacation. I was 19 years old and an average-looking female. I wasn't enthused about having to work a job over the summer, but it was the only way I was going to be able to afford tuition. Working night shift was probably the weirdest experience of my life. It was at the McDonald's drive-thru. I still remember my first night on the job. This lady came in and was talking to someone while she was waiting for us to take her order. She sounded extremely upset and she was screaming at the top of her lungs. It sounded like it was directed at someone in the back seat. I immediately assumed that perhaps she was abusing her children. I'm a psychology major so I naturally pick up on stuff like that. She ordered three Big Macs and three large Cokes and my intuition has been wrong. When she pulled up to pay for her meal she was completely alone. I was honestly a little startled. Why would this lady be here, wanting this much food and screaming her car if she was alone? I couldn't wrap my head around the situation. She was otherwise polite. She was nice as she spoke to me and paid for her food and left. She even told me to have a good night. She had been the only customer we had in probably a 45 minute window. And after she left, I saw some of my coworkers laughing at me. I asked them what was so funny and he told me it was my first encounter with Schizo Susan. They told me that she regularly did stuff like this and always showed up at all hours of the night to order seemingly too much food. She was always yelling at people in her car, but there was never anyone actually in her car. They didn't actually know her name, so they just started calling her Schizo Susan. They told me that there were occasional nights when she was the only customer to come through the drive-thru at all. I found that extremely unnerving. I immediately started wondering what was wrong with this woman. About a week went by. She came in every night just like they said, and in between speaking to me to order her food and picking up her food, she was always yelling at someone. I couldn't take it anymore. I had to know what was up, so I formulated a plan. 
I was just going to ask her who she was speaking to. You know, play it off like I thought she was talking to me. It was the best I could come up with without seeming abrasive. I remember it being a Friday night when I decided I was going to go do it. I had chickened out a couple of times, but I figured that since I don't work the weekends, may as well try something new to end my last shift for the week. Well, the night that I did it, I listened into her screaming for a few more seconds than I normally did. You see, I can listen to what people are saying through the McDonald's speaker without them necessarily knowing that I'm listening. If I don't say anything, they would never know. I normally never did this because it's kind of frowned upon. I'm pretty sure there's some kind of rule against it, but I listened for maybe 20 or 30 seconds. I listened for long enough to know that she was yelling at someone named Darian. When she was in the middle of saying something, I interrupted her and said, I'm sorry ma'am, were you speaking to me? She just replied, no. Okay, I thought to myself. I knew that I had to try something else. I asked her if Darian would be ordering with her. Then she was silent. It wasn't an entire minute, but she just didn't say anything. After the second time of asking her if she was still there, she let out a banshee of a scream. It was the loudest thing that I've ever heard in my life. It really hurt my ears, blasting through the intercom. The McDonald's microphone system is already pretty loud, but when someone screams into it, trust me when I say that it's the most unbearable thing you've ever experienced. I was also surprised at how long she screamed. She had one deep, guttural scream going for like 30 entire seconds. In the moment, though, I was scared for my life. I also got really worried that I was going to lose my job. I felt really guilty for asking, like it was my fault for setting her off. In retrospect, I don't think I really did anything horrible to her. Literally just ask her if the person whose name she was screaming just a minute ago was also going to be ordering food. He didn't actually say anything when she screamed. It was just kind of a violent and guttural screaming. I was really taken aback there for a minute. How the heck do you even respond to that? I asked her if she wanted to continue placing her order and that's when she just drove away. She floored it and drove way faster than she should have. And as she drove by, I saw her face looking at me through the window. It must have only been a split second that I could see her, but I got that one really good look at her. She looked extremely distressed. And as if things couldn't get any weirder, the microphone system stopped working correctly the rest of the night. I think she screamed loud enough to break something in it. That was hands down the weirdest thing to ever happen to me throughout any job I've ever worked. And this weird lady just disappeared after that. She stopped coming to McDonald's altogether. I asked some of the other co-workers how long she has been stopping by for her nightly visits, and all they said was that it was for as long as they can remember, which probably meant at least a year for some of them. I felt somewhat guilty for angering this lady so badly, but... I think it is safe to say she probably needs some serious mental help. I haven't worked at McDonald's in a long time and I don't ever plan on working fast food again. I just hope that wherever that lady ended up, she got the help that she so desperately needed. I worked at a museum a couple of years back, maybe a decade ago. I was a night shift security guard, 
It was as boring as you could imagine, but I desperately needed the money and it paid a few more dollars than any other job I could land, so I figured why not. I remember landing a construction job a year into working this night shift security job. I enjoyed construction a lot more and I desperately needed to get my life back on track. Being on night shift really messed with my mood and general well-being. The construction job I got had roughly the same pay, so it was a no-brainer even if I had to do a little bit more manual labor. As much as I disliked the job itself, I really liked all the people that worked at that museum. They were actually really cool. I went ahead and gave them my two weeks notice and told them that I would stick around for as long as they needed me to find a replacement. They hired some skinny pale guy named Justin. When I first met him, he seemed like he was a decent enough guy. After all, it really wasn't my problem once I left. After a couple of shifts with him though, I noticed that he was an extremely awkward and very strange person. He did this thing where he would change the tone of his voice mid-sentence. It was really strange and it almost made me feel like he had some kind of mental issue. Trust me, I wasn't being judgmental or anything and if you heard it yourself, you would probably have had the same concern. Not that I thought that he was dangerous or anything, just a little out there with a possible mental illness, maybe even a speech impediment. But anyway, it was my third or fourth shift training him and it was an ordinary night just like any other. As weird as he may have been, he seemed somewhat depressed or sad. I caught on pretty easily as he didn't make much of an effort to conceal it. We were making the usual trip throughout the entire museum which was honestly a pretty long walk. We were probably about 10 minutes into it when I finally just asked him why he seemed so sad. He told me that he was really lonely and couldn't get a girlfriend. Again, if you had one look at this guy you would probably understand why he couldn't get a girlfriend, let alone his weird personality. I tried telling him that there were plenty of fish in the sea and that he could probably have some luck on the internet. Online dating wasn't as big back then though. He kind of shrugged his shoulders and just continued being sad. Whatever, I didn't know what else I could tell him. After that point it became gradually weirder and weirder with each passing night. It was really strange. For instance, he would start going on these massive monologues about the most random things in the world. I only had to stay for a couple more shifts, but it honestly became really intolerable being around this guy. There was one night where he talked for at least 15 entire minutes about the environmental harm of pizza crust. Yes, literally pizza crust. It made absolutely no sense in the world. I tried interrupting him a couple of times to ask what was up, but he just cut me off and even started ignoring me after a certain point. When you are completely alone in a massive building with one other person, trust me when I say that their mental well-being is very important. I gradually began feeling more and more unsafe in the presence of this weird guy. Justin just seemed like he was going crazy or something. Thankfully, my entire shift with him went by decently enough. It was still awkward and moderately unbearable, but it was at least over. I started my new job and everything seemed to be going really well. I had completely forgotten about Justin and life seemed to move on. I didn't really think about that security job anymore at all. That was until I heard about an interesting story from my friend a few months later. I still kept in touch with a few people from the museum that worked there during the day. We were only Facebook friends but that was enough for me. 
One of them messaged me to ask me what I thought about that guy Justin that replaced me. I was honest with her and told her that I thought Justin was really strange and possibly insane or something. And she typed back, You're going to love this then. She then proceeded to tell me about Justin being fired for completely destroying an entire exhibit on night shift. I guess they came in at the morning shift and found him trying to put it back together. They watched the security footage and this guy literally tried to fight a dinosaur skeleton. I guess he had been acting really weird that night, judging by what she had told me about the rest of the security footage, but the interesting part of the story is that they somehow found out he was on antipsychotic medication. They figured that he probably had stopped taking his medication. That was all my friend knew, and that's all I know. It's really scary how people can stop taking their very necessary medication on a whim, and then potentially have a complete mental breakdown. I started wondering if he had been off his meds when I first met him. All I know is that I'm kind of happy I don't ever have to see Justin again. I worked the night shift at a terrible motel a couple of years ago. I remember having a job at a friend's business and this place paid a few dollars more. As much as I liked my friend, more money was more money, and that was that. They weren't offended or anything, so it was all good. And the first night working at this motel was really interesting. Being trained was pretty painful, as I'm sure any worker knows. The really difficult part of the job didn't come until about two months into it. That was when I was comfortable enough behind the desk that I could do everything 100% on my own, and I got better at reading the different kinds of guests. What I mean by that is I've developed some kind of sense for it if they were a good or bad person. Right away I could tell you if someone was getting a motel room for a business trip or if they were doing it to sort of meet a lady of the night. People just had certain tendencies and with enough exposure to them you can begin to spot the patterns. There was this one night when a man who seemed very sketchy came up to the counter. He looked very dirty. He looks like he was on something of some kind though I'm not sure what, but I very rarely saw anyone high or drunk, so it was just a little unusual. He stayed for a couple of nights and had some kind of problem with his room just about every shift of mine. It seemed a little weird, but I guess it was what it was. Every time I saw this guy, I got more curious about what exactly he was doing here. From what I gathered, he was booking a motel for a week and staying up all night. I assumed that he was sleeping during the day, but I can't really say with any certainty. I also noticed that he occasionally left the motel probably at about 5 o'clock in the morning. How do you speculate about what he could be doing, but there wasn't anything I could really do about it? I didn't want to ask him because, well, would you? So, I just tried to calm down my curiosity for a short period of time. That was when he came out of his motel room one night. He did his usual rounds of coming down and asking for more soap. I can't imagine why he used so much, especially because he still seemed pretty dirty to me. Either way, I obliged his request. He sat down in the main lobby for a couple of minutes though. There were these waiting chairs that were always empty and he sat down on one of them. He laid his phone down next to the table that was by his side. He got up and ordered something from the vending machine. He started just sitting there and eating for a few minutes. It was a little awkward, not gonna lie. For some reason, 
He randomly said some expletive and walked out of the room. I noticed that he left his phone on the table. He had completely forgotten it. It was a flip phone, so there wasn't going to be a passcode or anything I had to crack. After a minute or two of him being gone, I let my curiosity get the better of me, and I started snooping. I saw one phone number saved, and it was to a contact named Darlene. They had an area code I didn't recognize, and no, I'm sorry, but I don't remember what it was. I just know it wasn't from our surrounding area. They had the weirdest text message conversation I'd ever read in my life. It was extremely vague, but also kind of ominous. My mind instantly jumped to the idea that they were murderers or something. Bear in mind, I was reading these in a panicked state of mind, so I probably did not read them as thoroughly as I should have. The text messages didn't have any time or date stamps, so they could have happened at any time for all I knew. I noticed something weird about the text messages, though. He had texted her more times than she texted him. Whoever this Darlene person was started ignoring this guy. The last text message that I had read was the most recent one where he texted her asking where she was and if she was going to be showing up tonight. I think I only had about two minutes of looking at his phone before he started coming back. Thankfully, the chairs were around the corner from where he could have seen me. I was able to put his phone back down exactly where it had been and then I went back to the front desk. He came back out and went over to grab his phone. I was assuming that he had forgotten it, remembered, and came back. He stood there looking at it for a good minute. I tried not to look at him and be too oblivious about it, but I was pretty sure that he could sense that something was off. He felt my anxiety. Or at least I thought he did. He stood there with his back to me for a few more seconds, but then he did something that I didn't expect. He turned around really quickly, really darted and did it in a fast movement. He looked right at me and then started walking up to the front desk to speak to me. Keep in mind, this must have been about 2 o'clock in the morning and there was absolutely no one around. He started asking me how much money I made working at the motel. I told him how much I make an hour. He even started asking me if I wanted to make more tonight. I didn't quite understand what he was getting at. He was a much older man, at least 50 years old. The last thing I was going to assume was that he wanted to have his way with me. After all, I was only 19 years old. He pulled out a $200 bill and put it on the front desk and told me that he would make it quick if I came up to his room. My mind made the connection and I instantly felt really grossed out. He must have seen the expression of my face change and I told him that I wasn't interested. This is the point in the story when I started to feel really freaked out. I didn't know what to do. He did not like the fact that I told him no and offered a hundred more dollars for an hour. When I said no again, he grabbed me by the arm. It honestly shocked me a little bit. My entire body would have jerked away if he hadn't been holding me so tight. He then began threatening me and saying that he can do whatever he wants with me for free if he ends my life. The panic sunk in and I did the only thing I could think of. I screamed for security and surprisingly enough, he totally booked it. He went right back to his room and a few minutes later I saw him leave the motel. He never has to know that the motel I was working at didn't have any security cameras or anything else. If he had attacked me and done something horrible to me that night, there really would not have been anything to stop him. I'm really lucky that I was able to think on my feet because, thankfully, that may have saved my life. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I work at a regional grocery store. I'm a 26 year old female. I graduated from college with a master's degree in psychology and still couldn't find a job. Due to family circumstances, I wasn't able to get my PhD, which was basically the bare minimum to land any decent paying job. So, I was a little stuck. I even had a hard time finding a regular job. I had applied to a bunch of lower positions, but I kept getting rejected because I was overqualified. Over and over again, people told me that I would get too bored on the job and so they wouldn't hire me. This made me livid. After a certain point, my student loan payments were due and I really needed the money. I had to ask my cousin's friend for a job. He was the manager at this regional grocery store. Literally the only position they had available was stocking shelves on night shift. I couldn't believe myself. I was so ashamed. I felt like I'd wasted years of my life and thousands of dollars in debt just to get a job anyone could do. But either way... The job itself wasn't all that bad. I was allowed to listen to my earbuds while I worked. This meant I could turn on my favorite podcast while working. My favorite murderer, if you're wondering. I must have worked there for about a year before the big change came. Previously, the store closed down at 12 in the morning, but for whatever reason, that policy got changed and it became a 24-hour store with the exception of holidays and Sunday nights. It really sucked. What used to be my podcast and stock the shelves time kept getting interrupted by stupid customers asking where things were. That was fine. I didn't mind helping people out. I worked there after all. But they would literally ask me where the most obvious grocery items were. So many times I couldn't help but think, are you literally blind or stupid? But then there was one night when a very strange man came up to me. He had really buggish eyes. Entire body was round and... He had the longest nose hair I'd ever seen on a human being. It was like he took the hair right off of his head and glued it into his nose. I was down on my knees stocking the bottom shelf with pickles when he touched my hair. I had my hair in a ponytail that night and he lightly caressed the part of it that was touching my back. I jerked back and asked him, excuse me? He tried playing it off like he had arthritis but I knew that he was just being a creep. I asked him what he wanted. He stood there for a second. He seemed to be thinking of what to say, but only one word came out of his mouth. You. He walked up closer to me and then started to smell my shoulder. It felt so weird and I don't think I could have been more creeped out. I told him that if he doesn't need any help finding any items, then I had work I had to be doing. But he kept standing there. 
He started smiling real wide and then hugged me. It's okay, darling. I'm going to take care of you. At this point, I was screaming inside of my own head. This freak was crossing a million different lines. I pushed him off of me and ran to get my manager, who was a larger guy. He'd have no problem fighting this creep if it came to it. The creepy guy followed me as I went too. The nerve on this guy. When he saw my manager down the aisle, he must have had second thoughts because he turned around and started running away. I explained to my manager everything that had happened and he said he'd take care of it if that guy came back again. And that creep was smart because he waited a couple of weeks before he did come back. He waited long enough that the incident would not be on the tip of anyone's mind. I wasn't expecting him and neither was my manager. I was standing there stocking a shelf like I always did and all of a sudden I felt someone tugging my hair. They tugged really hard and it really hurt my neck. They totally overpowered me and started dragging me across the floor. At this point, I hadn't even realized who it was until I looked up to see that man. He must have dragged me a solid 30 feet to the exit before someone saw what was going on. It wasn't my manager, but it was another one of the girls who worked with me. She started screaming like a banshee and running at him, and for one reason or another, he decided to run away again. I was beyond relieved. I couldn't believe that he was just going to walk up to me and start dragging me out of the store by my hair. What kind of psycho does that? It was all just truly horrifying. This was finally the incident that convinced the store owner that we had to have security if we were going to be open at night. We had a security guard somewhere on the premises after that and I felt a lot safer. I'm still looking for a job in psychology and I really hope I can get one soon. I felt like I really needed a break after having gone through all of this. I am openly gay. I had a really hard time growing up seeing as I was raised in the Bible Belt. My parents literally told me that they would rather me dead than be what I was. And as you might imagine, we're not speaking anymore. I saved up my money and moved to Portland, Oregon a few years back. I was super excited about being able to date for the first time. Having to hide who I was from the entire world and even myself for a couple of years was honestly really difficult. I'm happy with many of the relationships that I've had since I've been gone. I've had about three really good boyfriends and as sad as it is to say that things didn't work out, it was really nice finally feeling the intimacy that I've always wanted. That intimacy with another man started to change though with this last guy that I've been dating. I met him on Grindr. I normally try to just date guys that are in my friend group or know a coworker or something like that, but I decided on trying out Grindr because someone recommended it and thought why not. So this was how this whole situation went out. I found a really handsome guy, he kind of looks like Taylor Lautner though he was actually a really tall person and extremely serious. I was really attracted to him from the first time I met him and it wasn't long before we were being intimate together. Things all took a turn for the worse though because he was really into some of the very strange sort of activities that you might see. I know many people have at least thought about experimenting with being tied up and things like that but this guy was like an extreme version of your worst fantasy ever. 
I don't really want to go into the details because they are kind of traumatic and personal. I will just leave you with the fact that it was very hard to breathe sometimes, and there were a couple of nights that I was seriously afraid of my own health. I tried talking to him a couple of times about having a safe word, but he never really wanted one. That would be fine, but he just wouldn't stop. I mean, the first time that we tried doing something like that, I was literally screaming and pleading pretty intensely. We had been intimate a couple of times before then, and I think that first horrible experience was about three months into the relationship. Finally, he gave in to having a safe word after I pestered him for a few days. But here's the crazy part. He just started to ignore it. The word was bananas. And the first time I said it, when we were messing around, he just kept going. He didn't even pretend that he didn't hear me. He said that he heard me, but didn't care. Our relationship quickly turned into the most unhealthy and toxic thing you can imagine. He gradually became more possessive and domineering as time went on. I felt extremely overwhelmed, and he did his best to isolate me from my other friends. It wasn't long into that when I decided I was going to just move away and disappear from him. I was kind of growing tired of Portland anyway, and I wanted to move to Boston. It took me probably about three paychecks to save up, but I eventually got it together and moved. I changed my cell phone number and everything. I completely ghosted him, and there was no way he was going to find me again, or so I thought. Right around the time I moved to Boston, I started having some difficulty finding a job. I barely had enough to cover the cost of moving, so I decided on taking the first job that I could get, even if it wasn't in my field. And as stereotypical as it might sound, I'm a hairstylist. I figured it would be no problem of getting a job, and so I tried for a couple of days. The first place they called me back was a mall cop security guard position. It wasn't the best job in the world, but I figured that it was better than being homeless. So I went in for the interview the next day and got the job. I was basically a night shift mall cop. I must have worked there for about two months when I fell into a routine there. I would do my shift and go get some coffee at my favorite local diner that is across the street from my apartment, and then I would go to bed. On my days off, I would normally just browse the internet or talk to some of my friends that I made back in Portland. Not that one guy, though. It was a somewhat difficult position because I still had a hard time finding a job as a stylist. None of the salons in the area were hiring, and the only places that offered me a job were barbershops, which just wouldn't cut it for me, especially because they paid even less than the mall cop job. I remember this night like it was yesterday. I was making my usual rounds in the mall, I normally did a lot more walking than was actually required because I thought it was a good way to get my cardio in for the day. I walked up and down the place looking inside of each of the store areas and everything seemed to be going exactly the way it always did. It was very rarely anything going wrong in them at all all night, exactly as you might imagine. I made it all the way to the end of the mall and then started on my way back. On the way back I noticed something that really bothered me. The mannequins in one of the stores looked like they had been positioned differently. The mannequins looked like they were almost organized in a sort of erotic way. One of them was on its knees with its face in another mannequin's crotch. The one standing up was standing like it had an arm around the other mannequin's throat. I immediately started to get anxious that this was him. I was extremely on guard the rest of the night, half expecting him to pop up out of nowhere and start attacking me or something. And that was probably the scariest night ever. Thankfully, nothing happened. Physically, at least. Maybe I had just forgotten and started feeling paranoid. Some kind of mind game. 
I started finding notes in my work bag though, which I found particularly frightening. They seemed like they were innocent little notes from a secret admirer, but I knew that they were his handwriting. I just knew it. Furthermore, there was no way anyone knew that I was gay at this mall. I didn't really interact with other people too much, which made me so much more suspicious. For a couple of days there, my head was spinning. I was paranoid and freaking out and panicking. I didn't even know what could be happening. What I do know is that one week later, he showed up at my new apartment. I remember it being one of the nights I had off. I was eating some almond cookies and watching Netflix. Someone knocked on my door and when I answered it, there he was, and my stomach dropped. He was just standing there silently smiling at me for a few seconds. I told him that I didn't want to see him anymore. Then he told me that he needed to tell me something really important about one of our mutual friends back in Portland. The naive part of me started thinking that he may have been telling the truth and he was really just trying to deliver me news. I let him in and offered him an almond cookie. That was when he started choking me. I tried fighting him, but he was honestly a lot stronger than I was. Something else happened before I left, and I'm going to let your imagination fill that in. I don't want to think about that night too much. I called the police when he left later that night. I think some part of him believed that I enjoyed what he was doing, and I really didn't. I told him a million different ways, and now he really crossed a serious line. Just imagine this happening to you. It was the worst thing I've ever experienced. Thankfully, he's currently sitting in jail. He wasn't expecting me to really call the cops this time, but I did. And that sick monster can rot in there for as long as he should. I will press charges, and there's no way I'm going to let him do this to anyone else ever again. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This all started about a year ago. I, a 23-year-old female, live on the second floor of an apartment complex and have lived here my entire life. The building is mostly comprised of families with young children and married couples. A lot of the families have lived here as long as my family has, so everyone knows each other pretty well. There is only one apartment unit that isn't occupied by a family, but rather by a pair of brothers who keep to themselves. One day, one of their sons, around my age, appeared out of the blue. He was strange off the bat. He would always wear a sweatshirt with the hood up and would run through the apartment complex to get to his apartment. I'm not sure what his face looks like because he always had the hood over his face. He lived on the first floor, on the back side of the complex, and would often go into his place by jumping through the window. He basically did everything in his power to avoid any interaction. I didn't mind him because I never saw him due to my busy schedule. However, one day, he started sitting on the top of the staircase that leads to my apartment. This was strange because his apartment unit was on the other side of the complex and on the first floor. 
I brushed it off at first, but it started happening every day. When I would come home from school, he was there. When my boyfriend at the time would drop me off at night, typically at around 10.30 to 11, he would be there. Sometimes, when I would leave and come back hours later, he would still be in the exact same spot as if he didn't move through the five plus hours I was gone. At this point, I told my parents and my boyfriend about it and they became very vigilant. My boyfriend would park his car and walk me to my door every night he dropped me off. Once he saw my boyfriend, he stopped sitting on the staircase and I thought it was over, but it wasn't. He started waiting for me at the bus stop. The bus I take home from school stops right across from the street from my home, so it's a short walk. One day when I was getting off, I saw him waiting at the bus stop. Once he saw me get off, he followed me into the complex and sat on the staircase. He also started following me when I would walk my dog. At this point, my parents were upset. My dog started letting the neighbors know he was following me around. My neighbors started making sure he wasn't bothering me. If I was alone, they would start a conversation with me until I got into my door. One day, I got a friend request on Facebook from this guy. Mind you, he had never spoken a word to me, so how did he know my name, let alone find me on Facebook? My mom tried talking to his father, but they would never answer the door when my mom knocked on their door. So I'm thinking, it can't possibly get any worse, right? He seemed harmless, so I wasn't too worried, and I was wrong. One day when I returned from my boyfriend's house, my mom told me she had something to tell me, but she didn't want me to get spooked. She proceeded to tell me that when she was walking towards the kitchen to get a glass of water, she saw something in the tree move. Our kitchen has a huge window that takes up most of the wall. In front of the window, there's a huge tree. If someone were to climb the tree, you could see into our apartment. Well, guess what? When my mom took a closer look, she realized my neighbor was sitting in the tree, looking straight into the apartment. My mom called my dad over, and when my neighbor saw my dad, he jumped off the tree. At that moment, I felt my peace stolen from me. We filed a police report, but when the police went looking for him, he was gone. It turned out that there were snack wrappers and a blanket hidden in between the leaves of the tree. The police think that wasn't the first time he was up in that J-tree. I couldn't help but wonder how many times he saw me walking around and I had no idea. It's been about six months and I haven't seen him since. His father still lives in the complex but there's been no sight of him. The police haven't been able to find him so I have no idea what happened to him but... I just hope we never meet again. This happened in 2015 when I was 16 and still living in my hometown, a forgotten little beach town in the middle of nowhere that's so remote it's probably not even known by surrounding areas. Basically, there's three things you can do there as a teenager. Go to the movies swim, or go to this pathetic little place called Miller's Fun Park. It's relatively similar to a lot of fun park type things, only a whole lot worse. There's a terrible arcade with broken skee-ball machines, batting cages that probably haven't been used since the early 80s, 
a pathetic mini golf course and the most dangerous go-karts you've probably ever seen in your life. Seriously. Miller's Fun Park is on the edge of a field. On the opposite side of the field about three miles down is the beach and across the single street are woods. If our town is in the middle of nowhere, Miller's is practically on the moon. My cousin Emma and I decided one summer night that we wanted to go go-karting. It was around 10pm, so we knew it'd be almost deserted, but that was the way we liked it. I picked her up from her house and we made the long drive down. Once we had arrived and parked in the nearly empty lot, we hopped out of the car and paid for some go-karting tickets. The same people had worked there forever, I swear to God. There was no one there except for a few boys in the arcade and a guy who looked to be in his 60s sitting on a bench near the batting cages. Em and I paid him no mind and went to the go-kart track. Like I said, these carts were incredibly dangerous, so I was focused on nothing but making sure I wasn't going to skid and flip as we raced way too fast around the windy tracks. This is why I didn't even notice the guy walking over to the fence and why I didn't notice him watching us until we pulled into the lanes after our last lap. He was standing on the other side of the fence, right where I parked. He stared at me with the most unsettling expression, a creepy smile playing on his cracked lips as his dark eyes gleamed. I managed an uneasy smile back, handing another ticket to the guy running the go-karts, who was obviously higher than a kite, and Emma and I went off again. This time I couldn't focus. The dude gave me the worst type of feeling. My eyes were constantly finding their way to the metal fence where he stood, unmoving and watching us every time we were in his view. And the thing that was bothering me the most was we had only bought three tickets. We were on our second to last run and he was standing directly next to the exit gate. I was just praying he'd move before we were done. But of course, no such luck. Our last go came and went and... I had no choice but to pull in next to him, unbuckle my seatbelt, and get out of my go-kart. I glanced over at Emma a few feet away as I opened the exit gate to see if she was as scared as I was, but she didn't seem to notice as she bounced over and bragged about how she had beat me the last two times. I was barely listening. I opened the gate and the guy stepped in front of me just as I was leaving. Hey there, he said. His voice was dry and he smelled of cigarettes. What are cute girls doing all alone here? My eyes darted over to Emma, who was looking at the dude with both confusion and annoyance. Uh, what? She said, pushing past the gate so she stood beside me. It's so late. His tone was as hungry as his eyes and he reminded me of a snake. Do your parents know you're out? Yes. I answered quickly. They're waiting for us, actually. We need to get going. This was a lie and probably sounded like it from my tone, but I tried to push past him anyway. It didn't work. He grabbed my shoulder to keep me in front of him. Nonsense. I saw you girls pull up alone. My heart dropped to my stomach. He had? Are you heading out? Why don't I walk you to your car? He starts inching toward me and I look to Emma for help. With one swift movement, she pulled me halfway behind her and started sizing the guy up. This is pretty dumb as we're both small and though she's a few inches taller than me, neither of us are anywhere near his size. This guy clears 6'2 easily but 
she doesn't seem to care. Actually, we were just headed to the arcade, she says harshly. Her boyfriend is going to meet us here. I did have a boyfriend at the time, but he wasn't coming, and he wasn't even in town. I knew she knew this. The guy's face immediately changes. His smile disappeared, and he was now glaring down at me with a look of annoyance in his eyes. I felt myself start to cower. Boyfriend, he says roughly. Emma didn't give me the time to say anything. She grabbed my arm and tugged me behind her into the arcade. The boys from before had already left and the usual girl who worked in there was nowhere to be found. Still, it felt safer than outside. We ran to the back and hid behind the claw machine. What do we do? I left my phone in my car. I whisper shouted. There's no way I was going out there alone and the pothead go-kart guy had already disappeared into the small ticket shack. I don't have mine either. I left it charging. She said, face palming. We're just going to have to make a run for it. Are you crazy? He's probably waiting for us in the parking lot. What about the guy who runs the go-karts? We could get him to walk us out. She said. I just shook my head. He's as high as Mount Everest right now. I don't want to risk running all the way out to the ticket stand for nothing. Then we have no choice. She stood up, pulling me with her. Let's go. I swallowed hard, wanting to cry. I'd never been that scared before. There was something so wrong about that guy. We made our way out of the arcade, looking around to see if he's nearby. The park was now absolutely deserted. Emma practically had to drag me to the exit. I was looking every direction, every second, waiting for the guy to come out of the woods or something and pounce on us at any second. But he didn't. Everything was still. Get your keys out, Emma instructed, and I pulled them from my pocket. We were about 20 feet from my car when I stopped, dead in my tracks. What? She whispered. I stared at the car, keys in hand. I had never locked it. I never locked the car, Emma. What? I didn't lock it. What if... I trailed off, but she knew what I was saying. She started inching toward the car and I grabbed her arm to stop her, but she pulled away. I'm just going to peek. If I say run, you run. Her voice is quiet and I nod shakily. She eventually made it close enough to see inside, but the way she was squinting I knew it was too dark to make anything out. My heart was beating out of my chest. What if he's still in there? What if he jumps out? Or what if we get in and he asphyxiates me like in the movies? All of these thoughts almost drowned out the unmistakable sound of shoes slamming against the pavement. My head whipped around instantly and there he was, sprinting at us at full speed out of the woods. I screamed bloody murder and broke for the car, jiggling the handle as I realized I had locked it. Emma was already on the other side, screaming at me to unlock it. I fumbled with the keys but managed not to drop them as I unlocked the door, flung it open and practically threw myself inside. I had just managed to close the door when he was there, slamming his fists against the window and shouting incoherently. I was sobbing at this point and barely managed to lock the doors as he goes for the handle and yanks on it as hard as he can. Emma was screaming at me to go, and through my tears I shoved the key into the ignition and flew into reverse. 
He was still chasing us and yelling as I veered backwards out of the lot and turned as fast as I could while slamming on the gas. I was driving like I was still in a go-kart, but I didn't care. I could barely see the road through the flood of tears and Emma had to grab the wheel several times to keep us from crashing before I regained some composure. Though obviously shaken up, she managed to keep her tears in and be the sane one out of the two of us as we drove at least 30 miles over the speed limit the whole way back to my house. We didn't tell either of our parents about this and looking back, I wish we had because there was something seriously wrong with that guy. But we were too scared of what they might say or do. I think we thought they'd blame us somehow, so it stayed a secret between us. Something even we didn't talk about until months after the horrifying encounter. Safe to say we never went back to Miller's Fun Park after that. Two thousand twelve was not a kind year to me. I lost my grandfather on March sixteenth, and then my boyfriend of three years decided to break up with me ten days later in my grandparents' house. Late April, I decided to do what most mid twenty somethings do, and I set up a dating profile. I talked to a few people, one of whom was the creepy EMT, who for the rest of the story I'll just refer to as Noah. Noah was, if you haven't figured out, an EMT. He lived about 15 to 20 minutes away from me. Initially, things were great. We had great conversations. We had a lot in common. We texted all the time. He seemed like a genuinely kind, caring, wonderful person. So after about two or three weeks of calling and texting, we decided to meet. The actual date itself wasn't bad. We went to the movies and then went for coffee. It was after the date that things started spiraling. Suddenly, Noah's in love with me. Suddenly, Noah wants to marry me. Suddenly, he can't wait to tell our kids our love story like How I Met Your Mother. I was using How I Met Your Mother as a crutch to get through my breakup. And he told me we were like Romeo and Juliet, that we were destined to be together. Every conversation we had for six days after that one date was like that. It creeped me out. He went from this sweet guy to this overbearing, forcing marriage and kids down my throat, and we barely knew each other. But it gets worse. So I decided that I'm going to let him down easy. I try to treat people the way I like to be treated, but in hindsight, I realized that this was not the way to do it. I invited him out to the subway, oh yeah, I know, by my apartment. I was trying to tell him how I wasn't over my breakup how I wasn't ready to move on to a serious relationship and definitely wasn't ready for marriage. He took this as I just wanted to casually date him and he took the position of he'll wait for me. It gets worse. Somehow we wound up at my apartment. It was so awkward and uncomfortable. He kept trying to make out with me despite me telling him no. So he would stop, mess with one of my cats and then try again. At one point, I moved to my recliner, thinking that that would stop him. Nope. Noah took that as an invitation to sit on my lap and try to kiss me. Yes, that's right. You read that correctly. Thankfully, my sister, who was also my roommate, called needing to be picked up from work. But the story isn't over. That night, or maybe the next, I decided to send him a message on Facebook. I tell him what a wonderful guy he is, how any woman would be lucky to have him. 
but I wasn't ready to be in a relationship and I wasn't going to be seeing him anymore. This led to a barrage of messages from him about how he loved me and how could I do this to him, we have something special. Then when he realized that I wasn't budging, it turned to how he knew I was just like all the other women. Then, when that didn't work, he pulled the old I'll end my life card, but it wasn't any run-of-the-mill threat. Noah here told me that he was going to get really drunk on margaritas and drowned himself in his bathtub. Not knowing if the dude was legit or not, I called a welfare check on him. You might be thinking that this is the end, but it's not. About a month later, he saw me at the local community college. He followed me all over campus. A mutual friend sent me screenshots from his Facebook where he talked about how he saw me and should have had his way with me right then and there when he had the chance. His friends were agreeing with him. It was pretty chilling. Somehow, that's still not the end. In the fall of 2012, I took a job with the local outpatient medical health clinic as a receptionist. A few months later, a girl named Rose started at a different office. Next thing I know, there are these rumors about me and how I broke Noah's heart, how I cheated on him and how I can't be trusted. People I never met were talking about me and my dating life. Eventually, Rose came to work in our office and Noah was there all the time. He was always staring, always following. It was deathly creepy. I dealt with him until December 2014 when I left the clinic, and thankfully I haven't seen him since, and Rose, if you're still with this guy, I hope you're safe. I'm working in a carousel in a shopping mall, and this mall is known for being like the third biggest mall in Europe. The first time I worked here, yeah, because the carousel is owned by my parents, so when I had free time, I'd go here and work for a few hours like after school. I was 13 and was not really used to the Parisian life. I came from a small town in the south, so it was really weird for me to be here. But one day, a guy, maybe 20 to 30, was sitting on a bench and looking at me. He seemed really nice, and I first thought that he was a parent or something, looking at his child. But he was completely alone and only looking at me. I awkwardly smiled and said hello, thinking he needed some help. He kept smiling, and that's where I started to be scared. But I kept doing my work, looking in another bench to make him understand that I was uncomfortable. And maybe five minutes later, he moved, sitting on the bench that I was looking at. He was not really smiling and looked kind of disappointed. So I started looking up, because people could look at the carousel from there. When I looked down again, like ten minutes later, the guy was gone. I thought he left, but he was still looking at me from the first floor with that freaking smile. He stood there for an hour and continued changing, so I could notice him. When I left, he followed me, so I told my co-worker to accompany me until I got home, and that was incredibly creepy. He came back in random days, and it had been a maybe six months since, and he never came back. Later that year, I had a pause and decided to go to the nearest bookshop, as I always did, and I found a book that I liked, some Tolkien book, I don't even remember which one. It was a really beautiful book. And a guy, maybe 15 to 16, looked at me and made a Tolkien reference. I laughed and just left, you know. 
20 minutes later, the same guy was on the bench next to the carousel and looked at me. I smiled and he came to see me and asked my number. I said I couldn't give my number to strangers, but he insisted. I then asked him his number and told him that I'd text him when I was done with my work. I never texted him, and he came back like two days after that, but I didn't see him. I noticed him following me when I was in the same bookshop. I was moving randomly to see if he was really following me, and he was. So I walked towards him and asked why he kept doing this. He then said that he was in love with me, that I reminded him of his ex-girlfriend and really wanted to know me. I said that I was in a relationship and he said that it was okay, he could be a third wheel. So I said that I would text him whenever I'll feel like it and he left. Maybe a month after that, I was going to a famous convention where I was cosplaying as a random maid. I was holding a free hugs cardboard sign with some random drawings on it. I was with two friends and we were having a lot of fun when, out of nowhere, someone jumped on me and hugged me. It was the same dude. We called security and he kept screaming for bloody murder that I was the love of his life and that he would end his own life if he couldn't have me. Apparently he asked my coworker why I wasn't here and she thought he was a friend of mine and said I was going to a convention. He came and searched for me the entire time, and I never saw him after that. Also, he had my number because my coworker gave him it, and of course, I blocked him. Now, the third stalker was during December 2018, so I had two jobs but in the same shopping mall. A guy, again, maybe 20 to 30 years old with long hair, was sitting on a bench next to the carousel and kept on looking at me. He sat there all day, and I noticed that he was sometimes raising his phone and moved the phone in my direction, as if he was taking pictures or filming me. I was 15, by the way. So he wasn't supposed to take pictures of young people, plus the way that he looked at me was just so weird, and I even caught him licking his lips while looking at me. I felt really uncomfortable, but kept on working and didn't say anything. The next day, I was working at my other job which was another carousel actually. It was here just for Christmas holidays, you know, and I didn't see him. But when I left my job and was waiting for my parents to get ready so we could leave, this guy sat next to me, like really close, and asked my number. I said no, and he looked down, disappointed almost, and asked, You working tomorrow? I replied, I don't know, why is that? Because I like your body. He stood up and left. I was paralyzed, really. And the next day I told my coworker, Lionel, another coworker by the way, it was a Romanian guy, about what had happened. I couldn't sleep that night and was really paranoid about everything around me. Then I saw the guy and told Lionel to ask him to stop following me like that. He came back with a huge smile saying, and I'm really not kidding. It's okay, you two can go on a date. Apparently the guy told my coworker that he was a friend of mine and was messing with me. He said he was really shy and was playing this game so he would have the confidence to ask me on a date. I was feeling so strange as if I was going to fall or something I stopped working this afternoon and told my parents. They told me to stay with them and immediately tell them if they would see the guy. When we were leaving I swear I saw the guy with a hoodie under the rain looking at me and taking pictures of the car. The next day, I was with another coworker, Marie, 
She's really protective. She's like a sister to me. And I saw the guy on the bench next to the carousel. When I told her, she ran towards him and yelled at him stuff that I couldn't hear. But I could see the guy's face and it was priceless. She came back with a big smile and the guy left. Apparently she said that she knows where he lives and if she saw him around me for a second, that she'll blow his brains out. Thanks, Marie, for sticking up for me. I was 15 years old at the time and out to a weekend afternoon movie with my friend. We were really early, so we decided to take a look around at a nearby toy store to kill some time before the previews began. I was strolling absent-mindedly down an aisle by myself, looking at toys I felt too old for when I heard an odd whistle. If you've ever heard the iPhone notification chime, then you have an idea of the sound I heard. I thought nothing of it, maybe it was someone's phone and moved through the aisles, eventually meeting back up with my friend. We walked around a bit more, talking and laughing, and I heard that whistle once again. Being preoccupied with my conversation more than anything, I still didn't pay any mind. On our way out of the store, I heard the whistle for a third time, but much closer, practically right over my shoulder, and I whipped around mid-sentence. A man stood there, grinning from ear to ear in a strangely sinister way. The smile didn't fully reach his eyes, he was a bit on the small side, scraggly with long hair tied back in a long ponytail. He had a tattered black t-shirt which hung loosely off of his thin frame in a bulging black drawstring backpack. Hi, he said, stretching his lips even wider around his contrastingly bright white teeth. As a teenage girl, I was no stranger to the attention of older men, but something about his persona and approach set me on edge. Still, I was taught to be polite. Hi, I responded tentatively taking a step backwards and away from his intense stare. I noticed you around the store and thought I could get your opinion on something. He unfurls a crumpled stained copy of the toy store's weekly ad and pointedly stabs at the Barbie doll selection with his index finger. See, I'm looking for the perfect doll for my niece and I just have no idea which one to pick. What do you think? He looks up and smiles, but his eyes are dark pools of nothingness, devoid of any real interest. This one's nice, I say, pointing to a doll at random, hardly looking at the ad. Wow, thank you, I really appreciate that. Hey, has anyone ever told you how pretty you are? You must go to the gym often. What gym do you go to? Taken aback by his abrupt stream of rehearsed-sounding pickup lines, I say thank you in a forced laugh. I'm young, and so is my friend. Our inexperience and his strange approach keeps us frozen in place. His eyes bore only into minds, and his grin, wider still and deeply disconcerting, never fades from his face. Hey, do you want to be friends? I'd like very much to be friends with you. You know what friends do? They take pictures together. Let's take a picture together since we're friends. He holds up a red flip phone with the front cover held together by a rubber band. He activates the front facing camera and before I can say anything he leans into me, face uncomfortably close and snaps the picture. 
He looks at it briefly, smiles, and pockets his phone. There now, we're friends, he says matter-of-factly and turns his gaze back to me, appraisingly. Stupidly, in a horrified daze, I nod. So where are you from? Where are you going after this? What do you like to do? My friend puts her hand on my arm and I suddenly break from my stupor. We have to go. My dad's waiting. I say and we turn to go. My last but not final glimpse of him is with his head cocked to the side and that wide smile spread across his face. His eyes now flicker with something I can only recall as amusement. We turn our backs and as soon as we get far enough away, we run. Fast forward to a year and a half later, I'm in my junior year of high school and on the early morning city bus headed to my first class of the day. The bus is packed and I squeeze my way to the back, reaching out a hand to grab the pole as the bus breaks sharply. I hear a whistle close to my ear. When I hear it again, I adjust my earbuds in my ears. Why isn't that person answering their phone? A hand closes right above mine on the pole. It is too close and our fingers brush, but the person holds their hand there almost intentionally. I move my hand and glance up and into the broad smile of the creepy man from the toy store. Cold chills shoot down my spine and I grip the pole even harder under my knuckles, turning white. He tilts his head, still smiling his toothy grin and says, Hi, friend. The bus is so jam-packed that there's nowhere else for me to go, so I turn my body as far away from him as possible, hoping that playing dumb would work in my favor and he would go away. He leans closer still and says, Hi, do you remember me? I shake my head no and lean as far away as I can in the tight space. He frowns and looks suddenly angry. No? I know you. We met before. We're friends. I shake my head again, looking down, pretending to be engrossed in my music player. Maybe if he didn't get a full look at my face, he might think he had me confused with someone else. No, I have your picture, he says and reaches into his drawstring bag, pulling out his red flip phone held together by frayed rubber bands. All the while, I'm thinking... If he sees me get off at the stop to my school, he'll know where I am every day and can find me easily, but if I get off at a random stop before my school, he could get off with me and I have nowhere else to go. He's still scrolling through his phone and I'm imagining all the other girls' pictures he might have on there when he asks, So what school do you go to? I think about saying mind your own business, but remember his angry frown from before and give him the name of another school. It doesn't really make sense because this bus only goes past one high school and not the one I told him, but he nods at this and says, Hold on, I have your picture somewhere here. We're friends. The bus pulls up to my high school and there's nothing else I can do but to get off. While he's still preoccupied with his phone, I lose myself in the crowd and run all the way to school. I'm shivering when I get to my first period classroom and I can hear the blood rushing in my ears. I ask my boyfriend to take the bus with me every morning for the next few weeks and I change up my routine going to and from but I don't see him again until two years later and I'm a sophomore in college. I am taking the bus home alone after a late night out with friends when I heard a weird whistle. Enough time had passed that I don't feel much alarm and exit the bus at my stop. 
It is completely dark out and I am one of the two people who get off. Then from behind me I hear, Hello there, do you remember me? I turn around and it's him again. It's hard to make out his features in the dark but I instantly remember the tone of his voice, recall the whistle, and the tilted head and the wide toothy smile. I see what looks like a backpack strapped to the front of his chest. No. I say and start walking faster, heart racing, wondering how fast I can run in these flip-flops. I hear him picking up speed behind me and I dare to glance back. I glimpse him starting to run at me, his hands in his backpack, dinging around for something that I don't want to know. He is angry now, smile gone, and he shouts at me, So you want to be that way? I start running, and I don't stop until I get home. So I'm a 22-year-old female and I just moved into this apartment complex in the heart of downtown Baltimore. Tonight was my second night living here and I went to do laundry that was on the lower level of the complex, kind of like the basement, and decided to use the gym that was also on the lower level while I wait for my clothes to get washed. So I'm in the gym working out and it's a small room with not much equipment. I was the only one in there and I see this guy on the hallway outside looking at me. I ignored him and continued working out until he came into the gym and gave me a thumbs up and said, good job. I smiled and said thank you. He then comes into the gym and starts the treadmill and I didn't want to be confined in a small space with this guy so I went to the laundry room and my washer was almost finished so I waited and texted on my phone and a few minutes later that same guy came in and he went to do his load. We were the only ones in there and then he came up to me and showed me his phone and it was on Google Translate and it read, you are beautiful. I said thank you and he continued to translate for me to read. He's from Saudi Arabia and he barely spoke any English and he was asking if we wanted to be friends. I have a hard time saying no, so I just shrugged and said okay, and he asked via Google Translate for my number. I gave him a fake, and he called it right in front of me, and of course my phone didn't ring. He continued to call, and still nothing. He told me to wait there and ran back to the elevators. I started to get a bad feeling, so I left the laundry room. I waited on the other side of the hallway past the elevators and turned the corner where he wouldn't see me and texted my boyfriend what was happening. The elevator door then opened and the man comes out and I heard him go into the laundry. I had this gut feeling telling me to run and I'm never a frantic person or anything and I don't get spooked that easily but I just had a really bad feeling. I pressed the exit button to unlock the door that leads to the outside and it wasn't budging. I turned around and saw him head into the gym from the mirror on the wall and knew he was going to check this side next so I kept frantically pushing the button and the doors unlocked and I ran inside. I walked around for 10 minutes on the phone with my boyfriend telling him what had happened and went to the lobby of my complex and asked the front desk lady if she could escort me to the laundry room. She said yes and we went. The man wasn't there and I put my clothes in the dryer and she told me to come back and get her when the dryer was done. 45 minutes later, the front desk lady and I went to the laundry room and guess who was in there? The man. 
He smiled and was about to say something until he saw who I was with and became quiet. I got my clothes and we left and the guy left with us too. We all got in the elevator, with the lady in between us, and her and I got off on the lobby floor so she could show me where the other laundry rooms were on the other side of the complex. I thanked her and went on my way. I waited for the elevator to come down and when it did and the doors opened, that man came off and held the door open for me. I said no and told him I would wait for the next one. I didn't want him knowing which floor I lived on. He got off and was pacing back and forth and huffing and puffing. As soon as the next elevator opened, I got on and he tried to get on with me. I immediately got off and he was like, come in, come inside. I said no and he started to get really mad and started to walk towards me. I booked it back to the lobby and to my luck, the front desk lady was already heading my way telling me she saw what had happened on the security camera. She escorted me to my room and made sure I got in safely. I'm so thankful that she was there. This probably wouldn't have happened if I just cut the conversation short with that man. I have never been this freaked out before and have never felt this unsafe either. Even though he didn't necessarily do anything wrong, it was just the vibe I got off from him. I'm going to get a gym membership that's a few minutes walk from my building and use the laundry room on the other side of the complex just so I can lessen the chance of having to ever run into that man again. I'm a 21-year-old female, and this was around June 2019, and I was doing a closing shift at McDonald's that I work at in town. I live in England and originally from Scotland. We close up at 2am on weekdays and 3am on the weekend. It had been a Saturday night shift so I was finished and out the building by at about 3.15am roughly. When this happened I was living about a 10-15 to minute walk from my work in a flat that was mostly taken up by students. I didn't have money to spare to constantly get taxis and I had been walking home at night for the past year with No incidents, so of course I didn't think anything differently of doing it again. Majority of the walk was fine and I was about four minutes away from the flat when I noticed a guy just standing around near the corner I had to turn to get home. I am wary when I see other people but usually they're drunk and mind their own or just ask for directions or it's a homeless person as there's quite a lot in the city I live in but at that time of night again they usually keep to themselves. This guy was dressed nice but casual, looked around mid-twenties, well-groomed, tan skin and this really strong-smelling aftershave. He obviously was a regular at the gym too because he had a muscular figure and didn't seem to be too drunk by the looks of things, but who knows. I tried to keep my distance but he approached me and started making really casual conversation, asking me what my name was, complimenting my accent and asking where I was from. I stupidly engaged with him but gave him a fake name and made it clear I wasn't up for a chat. I should have been firm with my words but I was way too introverted and shy to speak up. Even my boyfriend complains I talk too quietly sometimes and I struggle to be direct with people. Throughout the whole conversation, he was always giving me this unsettling smile and would try to touch my arm or play with my hair which I made as clear as I possibly could that I didn't approve of. Not that he was even listening. He would just say something along the lines of, You're just so pretty. Not flattering at all when it's a man who won't take no for an answer. 
This guy asked me for a hug and even though I refused him as politely as possible, he did it anyways. I froze up a couple of seconds before I moved away which thankfully he let me do. He was being extremely creepy at this point and tried feeling over my sides as he hugged me which gave me even more alarm bells ringing in my head. I told him I had to leave and as I was walking away I heard, I'll walk you home, where do you live? Unfortunately I had nowhere else to go but home. Nobody else was around and it was too early in the morning. My roommate was also back at his own house as he went back home every weekend. I had a hold of my keys in my pocket and just hope once I got to the building I could find a way in without this guy being able to invite himself in. I refused to walk home but he followed me anyways, walking about 8 to 10 feet away from me as I was speeding up at this point but caught up as I crossed the road. I don't know why but I decided to go the long way to get to my building, which is an extra 2 minutes so not that long, and as I was approaching the flat I felt this horrible sinking feeling in my chest. The door to the building closes really slow at first before slamming shut so I knew even if I walked in he could potentially follow me inside and that puts me at even greater risk. By this point he was begging to be let inside. He said he was extremely thirsty and wanted some water but I told him my roommate is sleeping, a subtle way to try to deter him by showing I wasn't alone but that didn't seem to faze him. He was trying to be touchy and just kept pleading with me to be let inside but I kept my ground and said no as best as possible. As he was talking to me I managed to use my fob on the door and only open it enough to carefully slide through however he was right at the door and I didn't want to make him upset so I apologized and told him no once again. Luckily he had to move away from the door as someone wanted to get into the building. The guy entering the flat asked if everything was okay when he saw me but I stupidly said everything was fine. That did give me a chance to move away from the door and let it close once the guy walked through. He either worked or lived here but I wasn't sure. I didn't even look back to the guy. I just ran up the stairs to my flat as fast as I could. I didn't get any sleep that night and from that moment on I made sure to always have money aside for a taxi. I think I walked home maybe once more between June to October before I moved. Really scary stuff and... I'm just glad I never saw him again after that. It's late, and one of those nights, we all know them. It has been almost eight years since I last heard her voice, and I can't seem to be able to function. To begin, this isn't the first time I've written this out. I've been doing it since I was really young, but I want to attempt it again. I had a cousin, more like a sister, and we were inseparable. There was nothing we didn't do together. It was us against the world, and I felt my strongest with her. I had never had anyone like her in my life, and so when she was taken from me, everything in my world shattered. Here's some background. I was born in 1999. I had three older brothers and a single mom, so not having any other girls around, I linked with my cousin and she was born in 2000. She had a dad, a mom, and an older sister. Their perfect little family, I was always there with them, their other daughter and their imperfect world. This story doesn't truly begin until 2012. It was a bad year for my cousin's family. 
Lots of lies, issues, my aunt moving out, my cousin's sister going to college. It was just me and her against everything. I was 13 and depressed. She was the glue holding my shattering life together, but only for problems that seem so little now. Her dad did all he could for her. Even when she was bullied and began to self-harm, he moved her skulls and would sit with her at lunch, things I didn't find out till it was too late. But that only gives you background on them, not of the exact story. August 28th, forever being marked on my calendars. It was a Tuesday, but to truly understand everything, I need to begin on August 24th. It was a Friday, I was picked up from home, my uncle told my mom it would be our last hurrah before I began junior high in September. We stayed at my grandparents. We recorded a video that I found would be the last time we would do that, the last thing I would ever have her voice in. We did things normal 11 and 13 year olds do, especially those in 2012. Sunday night, we went back to her house. I can't remember much about that day. Nothing really happened. So I'll skip to August 27th, the day before everything happened. My uncle owned a painting company which I found out much later was bankrupt and a lot was happening. He told my cousin and her mom he got them a new house. He showed them this new house. It was closer to my cousin's school so he wouldn't need to drive her every day. It was going to be better. We spent that night packing up her room, going through all her things. Her mother and father enjoying their company, me and my cousin also enjoying each other. I remember my uncle preparing us whatever food they had left in their freezer, which was freezer burnt tater tots. Her parents went to bed soon after, but not me and her. We stayed up for hours. Our laptop screens illuminating our faces, our laughs filling the silent night air. The happiness of two young girls being the end to a good night. We slept in her living room wrapped in sleeping bags, and here's where things began to shift. Around 4am my uncle came out, we were still awake but pretending to be asleep and he knew this. He turned on the fan that sat at our feet, a very important note, and told us we needed to go to bed or else my aunt might come out very upset. We did, we were tired anyway and didn't feel the need to be up anymore. Around 7 or 8am I was woken up by my uncle. He stated that I was going to be driven home. I believe my mom had asked him considering I was getting a haircut for orientation the next day on the 29th. I got up, going back to my cousin's room which lay directly next to my aunt and uncle's and grabbed my things. The entire time I felt eyes on me and when I looked down the hall to the living room, I saw my uncle staring at me, his head around the corner as to spy on me. When he noticed me, he quickly moved back but I was sleep deprived and a child so I didn't think anything of it. He asked me so many times if I was ready to go. I was not so I said no, going at my usual pace of packing my things up. When I was finally ready I walked to the side of the couch and saw my sleepy cousin peering up at me and I waved goodbye, assuming she would stay home and sleep, something her father usually did because my aunt was at work. After this I made my way to the car, the doors were locked and I was stuck standing half asleep with two bags in the cold morning air. One thing I did notice though was my aunt's purse still lying in the front seat. I was shocked as she was at work and never left her purse anywhere. This thought quickly left my mind when I saw my cousin walking out. Black shorts, 
white t-shirt, bedhead, a Steelers blanket, as my uncle loved them, and a pillow. She rubbed her eyes as she came out and I was excited to see her coming along for the ride. I believe she was too. Once my uncle came out and I loaded my things into the trunk, we headed to my apartment roughly 20 minutes to a half hour away. Our car ride was filled with giggling and happiness as we sang to songs like Whistle by Flo Rida, our favorite song at the time. But my uncle continued to behave oddly. He was insistent about turning down the music and turning up the heat, something I still find odd and something my cousin noticed and asked him to stop doing. We wanted to be happy, not knowing this was our last time. When we reached my apartment, I climbed out and so did my uncle. He ran up the stairs to go to the restroom and this left me and my cousin able to talk about seeing her that Friday night. I would be coming back over on Thursday because Friday they were going to be putting down their very elderly dog and I was going to comfort my cousin as they did this. My last words to her were, Shut up. You're so dumb. Bye. As I slammed the trunk of their car, once I had grabbed my bags, I passed my uncle on the stairs who said nothing to me. Not a goodbye, not a see you later, nothing. The last image I have of my 11-year-old cousin is her lying down in the back seat, head on her pillow and wrapped in her blanket. And that, like everything, was poofed into thin air. All of these events were on August 28th, the same day I cut my hair short for the first time, the first day I met my godmother's newborn baby, the same day I lost my childhood completely. August 29th started usually. I did my hair for my ASB card for school. I put on my favorite new outfit my mom bought me. I got to wear my new shoes and felt so happy. I attended my school's orientation and it was usual. A new school, new teachers, but old friends. After it was done, my mom needed to go back to work, so I went home with my friend. Her dad also needed to go back to work, so he left us at her house alone. We walked all around our small town messing around, buying things we didn't need. Around noon, or maybe a little later, my friend and I sat at the little park near her house. It was empty, so we, being two teenage girls, played on the big toy, talked about school and boys, and did the usual stuff. Until I decided to call my mom. I called her to joke with her, to say, How's work? I'm getting to spend time outside in the sun while you're at work, poking fun. I even star 67 her, for God's sake. When she answered the phone and I let out the initial hello in a fake voice, her voice interrupted through the speakers. Where are you, Lily? Where are you? She had checked my friend's house and I was gone. She couldn't find us. I told her I was at the park. I screamed to the phone. Mom, what's going on? Mom, please, tell me what's going on. I thought my guinea pig had died or my grandma had fallen. She wouldn't answer me. She hung up the phone and moments later she pulled up to the park. She jumped so quickly from her car and began to scream. They're dead. Violet and Christy, they're dead. He killed them. Dean killed them. All I could say was, What? As I heard her words, time felt as though it were standing still. When she grabbed me, we fell, both crying. After this, my friend told us she would walk home, not understanding what was going on. I barely understood, but she didn't understand what my mom had said. It wasn't until later that night that 
I found out that I was in the home. They shot my aunt to death and shortly after my cousin and I fell asleep. They say that a pillow and him turning on the fan caused it to be muffled enough that neither of us woke up. In the morning when he had woken me up, they watched me walk around the house in fear of me stepping into their room, revealing my aunt's bloody body lying in bed, still as if it were asleep. This is also why he woke my cousin up and packed her into the car. After he had dropped me off at home, he told the police that he drove around for quite a while, watching my cousin in the back seat, wanting her to go to sleep. When she finally did, he pulled into a neighborhood that wasn't yet built in the middle of farmlands, rolled down her window, and took her life like he took my aunt's. I pray every day she was truly asleep, and her last sight wasn't her father holding a gun to her. Once he'd done this, he drove home. Once home, he picked her body up, wrapped in that bright yellow Steelers blanket and carried her inside, laying her in bed with her mother both still seeming to be asleep beside the bullet holes and blood. He waited until the next day to turn himself in, sitting by the waterfront until feeling ready to, the same waterfront he had taken me and my cousin to for some ice cream and a day playing on the docks. He walked into the police station and confessed what he had done. He stated he had killed his wife and daughter. When they arrived at the house, it was confirmed that the only thing they could see through the windows were two bodies lying in the bed of the master bedroom. My mother recounts to me, begging him to keep me with them until she was off of work and then she'd come and get me and he told her no. He refused and said he was dropping me off at home. She was angry and ultimately hung up the phone not realizing that this was him granting me the life he had just taken from two other people. Later on, my mother visited him, asking him many questions, but asked him why he didn't take me too. He said, she wasn't mine to take. Burying that thought in the mind of a 13-year-old girl, so many thoughts rushed through my head. He emptied the bullet casing into the trash can I had thrown trash into that morning. I had walked by the door where my aunt's body now laid, and if I had opened it for any reason, I might not be here. He kept the gun in the car with me and my cousin, knowing what his intentions were that day, knowing what was going to happen next. I don't know if the fan was intentional or my aunt's purse in the car, but I do know he didn't plan on taking me. I realize now I didn't mention completely why he had done it. My aunt had committed adultery and had done horrible things, which I am not saying she deserved death for. His company was going under... The new house lined up was a lie, so many lies piling up and at that moment, this felt like the right way out for him. There's so many sides to this story, my cousin's sister was left without a family. Thankfully my uncle was her stepfather so she did have her dad left. My grandparents on that side of the family no longer speak to me, none of that family does, and I believe it's because I resented a lot of them. I don't consider my side to be the saddest. I just know I'm a survivor and the living witness and one of the last people my cousin and aunt saw before their lives were so abruptly ended. For anyone concerned, her dog did end up getting euthanized later and cremated and mixed with my aunt's ashes. I will include articles and some 
I am labeled as a friend or cousin because I was a minor at the time and as details were being released, they didn't have their story straight. Everything you're hearing here is the same details I had to tell two detectives as I chipped off my Union Jack nail stickers as I sat in my small room. They said I was the strongest young girl they had ever met because I didn't cry and I remember everything incredibly well. I'm sorry the story is so long. This is the most detail I had ever provided before and I wanted it out there, finally somewhere public instead of stuck in my brain. I have shared this with other YouTubers and it's never been picked up and I knew people here would read it so here you go. I'm a female from Sydney, Australia. I live in a very quiet neighborhood. Nothing interesting really ever happens around here and everyone usually keeps to themselves. So you can probably imagine everyone's shock when something as terrible as this happened. I was 14 at the time. This happened back in 2018 when my mum and I were going for our daily afternoon walks with my dog when we heard loud bangs that sounded like gunshots. We looked at each other but shrugged it off as some sort of construction work. In Australia, we have strict gun laws and guns are not common, especially not in my area. About two minutes after the bangs, a white ute sped past us down the street we were walking along going about 80 kilometers in a 50 kilometer zone. We looked at each other again and but soon forgot about it and made our way home quickly. I was in my bedroom when I kept hearing helicopters and the constant wailings of police and ambulance sirens. I went to ask my dad what was going on and he told me that a helicopter kept circling around our house with a spotlight like they were looking for something or someone. I could see its spotlight constantly drifting over my yard and illuminating it. We turned on the news and my heart dropped. All the channels were reporting that two teenagers on the street opposite mine had been shot dead in their home by their father who fled the scene. I instantly connected the dots of the gunshots and the speeding ute that was speeding directly away from that house. It chilled me that me and my mom had been walking along that street peacefully, unaware of the massacre that had just happened, that we had just shrugged off all the signs unwittingly. We figured that the helicopter was circling around my house as it backs onto a creek covered in bush and they were looking for the father. My dad kept all the backyard lights on so we could see everything and locked every window and door. I didn't sleep at all that night knowing the murderer, their father, could be in this area somewhere. Throughout the night I noticed my parents looking at me concerned and at first figured it was because they were afraid this man was still in the area still and had some sort of hostility towards all teenagers. But then it occurred to me that they were not just worried about my safety, they were worried I knew this person, that this was one of my friends. At this point, as it was only an hour or so after the incident, the victims had not been named. The closest thing we had to identification was the video of the mother hysterically crying and being treated which still sends chills down my spine just thinking about. After the whole night of searching for the father and everyone terrified of where he was, they found him in the morning in an apartment ten minutes away, already dead, as he had shot himself. The reality of it all came rushing in the next morning when the children were identified. 
a 13-year-old girl and a 15-year-old boy. It was revealed that the boy went to my high school. He was in the year above me. When I saw their faces and I recognized the boy, the sadness was soon overcome with numbness and denial. Because this felt like something out of a movie, as selfish as it sounds, I was also so immensely relieved it wasn't one of my friends. Just recognizing him was enough to send me spiraling down a dark hole. He was a part of the group that sat next to my friend group at lunches. He was always very quiet. He always seemed a little out of place. It came out that his parents were fighting over custody in court. I suppose the father had the mindset of, if I can't have them, no one can. And that sickens me to the core. It was almost worse seeing the face of the father. I cannot look at it without physically shivering. There is a vague recognition when I see his face, but I can never place where from. It was the only face that has ever truly haunted me. School resumed as usually as it could the next day. There was such a heaviness in the air, like it drained you of any emotion but despair. Time seemed relevant. The day went slow yet fast. No one really spoke, but you could tell there were wars going on in their minds. We had an assembly and our principal told us to avoid the reporters who were all crowded outside of our school. The teachers let us go early before the bell so the reporters would not be prepared. I had already seen the news vans and reporters outside the house while driving to school. I walked home the long way to avoid them. It was the highlight of the news for weeks. New things coming out. How the brothers seemed to have protected his little sister in his final moments. That report made me sob just from the title. I only went to that house to place flowers outside which so many others had done. I don't walk down that street anymore. Something that haunts me is the fact that this boy who sat near me during lunches had such a traumatic life and we were all oblivious to it. He was just another mere presence in our school and only when it was gone were people aware of it. I walked past him every day unknowing that this would be his end, that I would hear the gunshots that ended his life. The fact that the father was still able to get his hands on guns legally even with all the strict laws in Australia is terrifying the evidence shows he was planning on doing this for months. This was not the first nor the last time there had been a death within my school, as just recently my friend passed too, but it never fails to amaze me just how quickly everyone gets over these things and how everything just kind of goes back to normal. Something that causes the world to fall apart for a person does not stop the rest of the world from spinning. If there was someone I truly pitied in all of this, it would of course be the mother. She lost everything she had in one night. It was said she was seeking help through all of this. I saw the house be put up for sale and sold. It looked like she was moving on, though this is not really something anyone could move on from. Around six months later, she was found dead in the same house she lost her children, as she had taken her own life. It saddens me to think she dealt with all that suffering for months, only to succumb to it. A few years back, I was a shift manager for my local big box pharmacy slash convenience store. It was right across my backyard and I could sprint there in under a minute if I really wanted to, so it worked for me. I was 30, though I looked about 19, 
I worked out a lot and while I was fit, I was a smaller girl. Even though I was married, I did constantly get hit on and asked out. It was flattering, but always made me feel awkward, and I promise I'm not being narcissistic, just building the scene. Now this particular store I worked at was in a weird part of town. On the right side of town to attract the Karens, but close enough to the not-so-good side of town to attract the addicts, drunks, and psychopaths. Though I guess some of that is just in part of working for a pharmacy. Let me say I'm not someone that scares easily. I've had some high-on-meth crash their car into the side of our store, causing the back of our store to bend inward because we didn't carry pineapple juice, and had a man pick me up, throw me over his shoulder, and start walking out the door with me saying, You'd make a good wife. So, yeah. It started on a Sunday morning. I remember this because I was busy building end caps and making sales signs. I was with my favorite co-worker, so the day was flying by, and I was really bubbly. A man and his son came into the store and they made a beeline for me. The man was probably not quite six feet and skinny. He had dreadlocks, a long skinny silver earring dangling from his ear, and this tan trench coat that I found odd because it was summer. I greeted them and asked if they needed some help. He spoke with a thick Jamaican accent and said his GPS stopped working, like those old ones before they were standard in our phones, and wanted to see if we had any. I let out a small laugh, thinking he was messing with me. Nah, that would be at Best Buy or something, but we have a small section of electronics on this wall. I indicated to the wall in the back of me. Uh, thanks, he said, taking a look but also keeping his eyes on me. Something about them just chilled me. He was speaking another language to his son, but I keep going about my tasks for the day he would call me to help him, asking questions about chargers and SD cards. I answered them. Then he started telling me how beautiful I was. I thanked him awkwardly. You must work out, yeah? He said. Um, yoga mostly, I replied, getting more and more uncomfortable. He made more comments about my body, telling me he loved my tattoos and was just generally being a creep. I tried to stay polite and eventually just walked away to do busy work. I avoided him, but he was still staring at me. He had his phone out and I kept hearing the shuddering of a camera. I went to the office telling my other coworker that I thought the guy was taking my picture and just making me uncomfortable. He came out and watched over me. The creepy man and his son left shortly after my coworker came out. By the time the end of my shift came, I forgot about the creep. A few busy weeks later, I was up front ringing customers with a different coworker. We were crazy busy, but I was the manager on duty. After we got the line down, my coworker handed me an envelope. What's this? I asked her. I don't know. A man in dreadlocks told me to give it to you. I took the envelope and went into my office. There were dozens and dozens of pictures of me. My heart sank. I had no idea these were taken. Most of them were me in the store working and some of me walking home, and some with me and my daughter. I felt sick. There was a note with it. It said something along the lines of, You're so beautiful. I'm in love with you. I'd be a better husband than what you have right now. Please give me a chance. There was more to it, but it's in police evidence now. The guy stupidly left his name and address. 
I called our store manager and the police. They took our camera footage, my statement, and the pictures and letter. They told him he needed to stay away from me or next time he would be arrested and he was banned from the store. I was relieved, but still a bit bothered by it. A few more weeks to a month went by. It was another busy Sunday night. It was just myself as the manager on duty and another coworker as my cashier. We were ringing together when I noticed a man staring at me. This man was tall with a medium build. He had dreadlocks and the same silver earring and long tan trench coat as the other man did. This man was really scary. His eyes were just cold and dead and angry. They were staring through my soul. He didn't have anything to purchase, just stood and stared. I tried to smile politely at him, then another wave of customers came. I got lost in helping everyone, but didn't see the man anymore. When it calmed down, I still didn't see him. I decided to go, start facing the back of the store, and told my coworker to call if she needed me. As I was back there, I heard that Jamaican accent an aisle over. I looked up at the mirror to see the scary man on the phone. Yes, yeah, she's here. No, just one other girl with her. I can grab her when she leaves, no problem. I was horrified. He didn't see me, so I slowly made my way to the front. I briefly tell my co-worker what's going on, then call the police and my store manager. The cops took him away. A few days later, a detective came to speak to me. The two men were brothers. They were abducting women and using them for human trafficking. He told me I was very lucky, and I later found out that they had found a woman beaten to death in their apartment, and they have both since gone to prison. This still gives me nightmares. That woman, easily, could have been me. I'm a Hispanic female, Mexican to be exact, and this happened on my family's ranch just last night. My family consists of my parents, me and my little brother. My other brother is at basic training right now for the Air Force. So for now, it's just us. I wanted to just sit down and get this all out while I can. I live in New Mexico, the southeastern part right on the Texas state line, like literally 10 minutes east and you're in Texas. Anyways, I live 15 miles outside of my hometown and 8 miles away from the town over. My family has a cattle ranch and I live just off the highway. So people coming on our ranch are usually people we know. I think I live in the safest place anyone could possibly live with little to no worries about someone wanting to cause my family and I harm. Well, last night proved me wrong. Let me briefly explain the layout to my place. We have the main entrance with the ranch name and cattle ground. Then to the right, a few hundred feet over, is the gate we use for the cattle when they're being moved. But once you come onto our land, we have a giant silver barn, and attached to it is an overstay house where workers would go and stay overnight during harvesting seasons. Then it's my house a little ways away, about a two to three minute walk. Anyways, my mom's cousin from Mexico is running the overstay house from my parents while he works here in the US for privacy reasons. His name will be Antonio for the story. So last night at around 8pm it was thunderstorming when Antonio heard a knock at the door. Come in, he said, assuming it was either my mom or dad, but no. 
In walked in a dirty looking white man about 5'9 with a goatee that was obviously tweaking and talking really fast which really scared Antonio seeing as he doesn't speak English. So Antonio calls my dad and told him, hey, there's some white man here in my apartment and I don't know what he wants or how to get him out. Right away my dad drives to the apartment with his gun and demanded to know what business that man had on our land. They told me to come here and talk to you. Who sent you to come to talk to me? It was a talking dog. He wanted me to warn you all that the world is going to end and your dogs are talking to me. Referring to my two dogs, Sheba and Sombra, who were barking and growling at him like crazy. Look, friend, I think it's best you get off my property. Yeah, yeah, I should leave. He then proceeds to hop the cattle guard gate and my dad calls the sheriff's department, explaining what was happening and that if this man didn't get off of our property, my dad was going to make sure he doesn't leave it breathing. After this phone call, my dad and Antonio are just looking at the man on the other side of the gate. He was flailing his arms around like tweakers do and talking at the top of his lungs. Then he did the most ungodly thing. He starts screaming demonically then proceeded to run down the highway. Once the police arrived, they told my dad they had gotten calls about him and apparently he lived close by to our ranching community. Great. We have a crackhead neighbor. My dad just told them he better not come onto our property again because my dad said he doesn't know him and he's not welcome. He doesn't know his intentions and he's not scared to shoot him if any of us feel threatened. The sheriffs then left and everyone got ready for bed. Then early this morning at around 3am, Antonio called my dad again, panicked because the man was knocking on the apartment door and he was holding a gun. My dad got up quickly and told my mom to call the police. When my dad got to the apartment, the man was going through Antonio's truck and once he saw my dad, he booked it once again. My dad was raging. He told the police if he went further than the apartment and got anywhere near our home or went through our vehicles, he was going to shoot the man and he was warning them now. We don't have a security system, we just lock the front door and back door, and we never felt the need to lock our vehicles until today. We do however have security cameras, one facing the main entrance, our vehicles, one right by the front door, and one facing the area where our cattle and two horses are. Unfortunately my dogs are all bark and no bite. Sheba is about seven years old and is a lab mix and Sombra is almost two and she's a red healer. The dogs are mostly on our porch watching the cattle and barking at whatever or whoever comes through the main entrance, but I think now my old school Mexican parents are going to have to finally invest in a security system instead of thinking a locked door and the porch light will scare anything away. I moved to a new place in a small rural town in Texas. Little did I know that the house next to ours was a halfway house for registered offenders. I ran a non-profit wildlife rescue at that time and had actually a couple of them do community service at my place. It was not so bad. I figured I'd rather go with it than dreading it, you know, as keeping your enemies closer sort of thing. They had a history with children and I'm an adult woman so I didn't feel threatened from that angle and it gave me a chance to keep an eye on them to make sure they don't get close to any kids. At least not in my presence. 
But then a third guy moved in and he was just utterly weird. He often mumbled to himself, would never answer or say hi, just creepy vibes all over. One morning he walked by my property, stopped and pet my dog through the fence, saw me and looked me up and down as if trying to figure something out. I smiled at him and said, Isn't it a beautiful morning? He looked at me as if I was talking gibberish, shrugged and walked off to the park about a mile away, where he approached a young mother who was sitting on a bench watching her kids play and stabbed her in the back, paralyzing her for life, for no reason at all. I can't help but wondering if he would have come after me had I not been behind a fence with a 160-pound Great Dane directly in front of me, and I've linked the full story right below here. So this happened when I was around 8 years old. I would have thought it was something I made up if other kids I grew up with didn't have a memory of this person too. I grew up in one of those everybody knows everybody small towns where you definitely know if someone doesn't live there. As I said I was around 8. I went to the park one summer day and saw a young girl there. She looked to be about a year younger than me and she was alone, but I had never met her or saw her before this day. It didn't take us long to get to know each other and start playing together, but I never realized she never told me her name. A little while into our playing, we see a man slowly approach us from the other side of the park. My new friend spots him and starts to look uncomfortable and walks away before he spots her. The last thing she ever said to me was, my name isn't Summer. I thought it was weird since she didn't tell me what it was, just that it wasn't Summer. The man reaches me and asks me if I had seen the girl, who he said was his daughter Summer. I looked around the park and didn't see her, so I told a half-truth and said no. He eyed me for a second and then said his goodbyes and left. I saw him looking around the park as he left and instantly ran home. I never thought of this after that day until the memory popped in my head. I consulted Facebook and sure enough, my childhood friends remembered her too. To this day I don't know what the situation really was. I regret never telling my parents though I know they wouldn't have believed me living in the small town I do. I pray for her every now and then and really hope that whoever she is, she's okay. Just a quick backstory. I grew up in Providence, Rhode Island, and everyone who's lived there knows it's very busy and noisy all day. The rip of buses, traffic, businesses everywhere, but at night it gets really quiet and very eerie sometimes. This story is about an incident that happened to me when I was 15 and got my first job at McDonald's, and it gives me chills every time I think about it. I was 15 and just got hired at McDonald's down the street from where I live. It was perfect because I could get to and from work without having to worry about getting a ride from my parents. While working there, I met some kids my age that I became close with. Unfortunately, they weren't the greatest of kids. They were very rebellious. They would clown around at work, act disrespectful to customers, and typical 90s punks. I slowly started to become like them. I began disrespecting my parents, which was totally unlike me, 
but I was always the type that didn't have many friends, so I wanted to fit in. Side note, I was very sheltered growing up and didn't really get around much because my parents were very overprotective of me. One night at around 10pm I finished watching Monday Night Raw and went downstairs to grab something to eat. I open the fridge and hear my dad's footsteps. He wore those slippers that tap loudly on the tile floor. Chris, I've asked you all day to take out the trash. They come tomorrow, so do it now. Now normally I would have taken it out the first time he asked, but now that I was getting older and becoming very rude, I didn't think it should be my responsibility anymore. I work now and go to school. You take it out. I replied. My dad's eyes got wide as I've never seen them before. He leaned in and said softly, As long as you live here, you will help out. Now take out the trash or leave. I called his bluff and rather than just simply taking the trash out, I rebelled like the dumb teen I was. Fine, I'll leave. If you're going to kick me out for that, don't bother looking for me. I'm done living in this stupid house. I said as I opened the door and slammed it. I walked towards McDonald's to see if any of my friends were there, and they weren't, just the maintenance guy finishing up the cleaning. Of course, of all nights it was raining, so I had to find somewhere to go to stay that was dry. There was a bridge with an overpass a little ways down the street, so I started walking towards it. The whole time I'm regretting what I did and wished I just took out the freaking trash. I finally get to the bridge and I climbed up the hill to the little section in the corner to stay out of view. I remember in school learning to go here in case of a tornado, so I knew I was safe. I patiently and stubbornly waited, assuming that my parents would call the cops, which in my mind would show me that they cared. Hours go by, and nothing. No sirens, no cars were even on the road. It was getting pretty cold, but I promised myself I wouldn't give in. I crossed my arms over my legs and fell asleep. I woke up violently from a semi wailing on his horn over the overpass. I looked all around confused. How long was I out for? I looked towards McDonald's and saw an old man in a gray suit sitting at the bus stop. It was weird. He was sitting still facing forward. I assumed it must be like 5am since he was waiting for the bus. And I stood up very upset that my parents never tried to find me and began walking to the bus stop. Now I'm a very outgoing person and I trust my gut. As I walked closer to the old guy I didn't get any negative vibe as I approached him. He slowly turned his head and looked at me and smiled. Not a creepy or uncomfortable smile, a genuine peaceful smile. I smiled back and decided instead of going home, maybe I can vent to this guy and get some advice. I asked if he mind if I sat down and he smiled and gestured towards the seat. Is everything okay? He said with concern. Yeah, I just ran away from home. My parents don't respect me anymore and how much I do all day. I said. I began telling him the story and I noticed as the time went by he was becoming more and more anxious and the smile began turning into a frown. He began to start breathing loud and he cut me off dead sentence and said, You need to go home now. With a stern voice. I was confused. I figured maybe his bus was coming soon and he wanted to say that before he left. I looked down in frustration because that's not what I wanted to hear. Suddenly I felt a strong grasp on my arm. He grabbed me and looked me dead in the eyes. His eyes were terrifying at this point, 
bloodshot and wide and I was shaking in fear, totally thrown off guard by his complete switch and his persona. He was literally shaking like he was afraid of something. He kept looking down the street and then back into my eyes. You need to go home now! He screamed at me. At this point, this guy was starting to scare me, so I stood up and nodded and he let go of my arm. Nervously, I started walking back to my house. I figured my mom was already up making coffee, so my plan of sneaking back in the house and hiding in the basement was not going to happen. So to see if she'd be up, I looked at my watch. It was 1.30am. My heart stopped and my throat became dry. Why was that man at the bus stop at 1.30am when the buses aren't running? I turned back towards him to look at him and he was gone. Now I'm scared, confused, and I need to get home. I used my spare key to get into the house. I opened the door quietly and everyone was asleep. I slowly opened the basement door and made my way downstairs to the storage area in the back. I buried myself under bags of clothes so they wouldn't find me. Figured I could get some sleep. The image of that guy kept popping in my head and I was so freaked out. It just didn't make sense. Just then I heard loud sirens passing by. And not just one. Multiple bursts of sirens coming every ten seconds or so. I smiled, thinking I've won. My parents called the police to look for me, and my plan worked. And now I'll make them worry until the morning and regret kicking me out. I made myself a little bed and covered myself up to stay hidden and fell asleep. I woke up to hearing my mother sobbing upstairs. I looked outside the little basement window and saw daylight so I figured I'd go upstairs and get my apology. I opened the basement door and walked into the kitchen. My mother was sitting at the dining room table with her head in her arms. She immediately looked up at me and gasped. She stood up and ran over to me and hugged me so tight. I thought you were dead. She muffled into my jacket. I slowly pulled away and looked at her confused. Why would you think that? I asked. What she said next sent chills throughout my entire body. She said that last night at around 1.40am, a drunk driver crashed into the bus stop in front of the McDonald's. It was completely destroyed. I started breathing heavily and realized that man saved my life. If he didn't tell me to leave when he did, I would have been sitting there and would have been killed. So many emotions were running through me that I didn't know how to handle it, so I just hugged my mother and immediately began to sob. I apologized and realized that I missed the old me. I almost got myself killed for my own stubborn stupidity. I dropped those friends and got into a new crowd at school, and from that point on anytime that trash was full, I just took it out. I don't know who or what that was at the bus stop, but thank you old man for saving my life. I'm a 23-year-old female. I live in a townhouse with my two children, two and six months old. My fiancé did live with us until two weeks ago when I caught him trying to mess with other women and made him move out. That's important to the story. I'm a stay-at-home mom and when he did live with us, my ex worked evenings. So let me set the scene. We live in a tiny town in northern Pennsylvania. 
My line of townhouses sits in front of the big field that runs to a line of woods. As far as I'm aware, these woods stretch for at least a few miles and I'm not aware of any houses in there or any roads that lead through them. My living room has three windows that look to the field and my bedroom on the second floor only has one window that faces that way as well. People do tend to walk their dogs back in the field and kids sometimes play back there but I rarely ever see anyone close to my house. For that reason, I tend to leave my blinds and curtains open because I guess I just enjoy the view. So in July of 2019, I was laying in bed trying to fall asleep. All the lights were off but I had my window and blinds open since it was so warm. I was looking out the window and I noticed small red and white lights just outside. I got up and looked to realize that the lights were coming from a drone. I ran downstairs to where my fiancé of the time was sitting in the living room and ran to the window. I told him what I saw, but of course when he went to look it was gone. I was paranoid that the drone could have had a camera on it and someone was watching me with it. I kept my blinds closed for a while after that. Fast forward to January of this year, I guess I stupidly got comfortable and assumed that whoever it was flying the drone was a one-time creep. My blinds were open and I had just gotten out of the shower. I was sitting on my bed pretty much naked except for my underwear, scrolling on my phone when out of the corner of my eye I saw lights again out of the dark window. It was that freaking drone again. I ran out of the room and waited for a few minutes. I peeked back into my room and it was gone. I quickly shut my blinds and got dressed. Honestly, I felt sick at how stupid I was to leave my window open again, especially when I was practically naked. Now for the really disturbing part, my two-year-old son and I were out in the field two weeks ago. Three days after I kicked out my boyfriend playing ball. I had my six-month-old strapped to me in a baby carrier. Probably about a half hour after we had been out there, I heard a slight whirring noise coming toward us. I looked up and saw that drone flying towards us. I looked around and didn't see anyone. It stopped right over us. I freaked and grabbed my son and dragged him into the house, looking back at the tree line every so often as we went. I knew they had to be hiding in there. I went inside, closed the blinds, and called my mom and told her about the situation. She told me to just keep an eye out, and I said I would. My son likes to line his toys up along the windowsill, so I figured it wouldn't hurt to open them up just an inch or so. A little while later, after we ate dinner and it was almost dark, I was feeding my six-month-old and my son was playing. He was standing over by the window, lining up his toys, and he started saying, Bada. I assumed he was just missing his father and dismissed him by saying he was going to see him that weekend. He kept saying Dada over and again though, and I looked up and saw him pointing to the window, under the gap that the blinds didn't cover. I froze. I remembered that he calls any man with facial hair Dada because it reminds him of his father, but there was no way someone would be bold enough to actually come up to my window. Not when my neighbors are literally right there, anyone could see them. But there aren't any lights back there, so unless someone actually stepped out of their house, I guess nobody would see them. Maybe it was my ex. But he should be at work at that time. I ran to the window and moved my son. I didn't want to lift the blinds, but honestly, I was sure it had to be the person who had been creeping on me from the past year, and I wanted to see who it was. I pushed the blinds up and was looking at a man 
who I definitely had never seen before, crouching in front of me. He was bald with a mustache and goatee. I have no idea how old he was. He could have been anywhere from 30 to 50. When he saw me, he smiled and stood up. I yelled and told him that I was calling the cops. He just stood there, smiling at me like some freak. I was about to close the blinds again when he said something I couldn't hear. I told him to leave again and he said louder this time, I just want to talk to you. I shook my head no and yelled the same thing to him. He started slapping his hands on the window yelling no, 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 over and over. I grabbed my phone, scared he was going to try to break in. I dialed 911. My kids were crying from the yelling and I felt on the verge of tears. I told the operator what was going on. The whole time I was on the phone, the man was pounding on my window, screaming now. He was yelling all kinds of nonsense and I only caught some of it. He said he was watching me for months. I'm beautiful. He wants me to come with him. He'll kill my children if I don't. The operator told me to go into an upstairs room and hide until the police arrive. My town doesn't have a police department so we rely on the state police. She said it would be about 20 minutes but to stay on the phone with her. The man was practically punching my window now and was just screaming like a maniac. I was about to grab my kids and run upstairs when I heard someone else screaming. The man bolted. I looked out and saw my neighbor and his girlfriend. I opened the window and my neighbor said that he heard the man so he ran around the building. He said when the guy heard him he ran back to the woods and disappeared in the tree line. They said that they also called the police. I thanked them a hundred times. The police arrived ten minutes later. They did a quick search around the building and in the trees but obviously didn't find anything. I've been super paranoid since then and stayed at my parents a few nights after it happened. I don't know why that guy targeted me or why he waited so long to do something. I'm just happy my neighbors were there to intervene or who knows what would have happened. I was between the ages of 7 to 10. I lived in a very haunted house on an Indian reservation. We would often see shadow figures, hear toys in my room going off by themselves, toilets flushing by themselves, and none of my friends would ever stay the night because of all the creepy stuff that happened and the feeling of always being watched. The only person who ever stayed with me was my cousin as she basically lived at our house on weekends. One night as we were trying to go to sleep, I was looking at my toy shelf and I could see everything since my room was pretty bright from the moon. One of my dolls that was sitting straight up started to scoot itself back, one, two, three. As I lay in bed watching it, the doll's head turned slowly towards me and I quickly closed my eyes hoping it didn't know I was awake. It turned its head back and tried to scoot forward but wasn't able to, then it just stopped. During that moment I felt like I held my breath forever waiting for it to move again. I called out to my cousin to see if she was awake and did you see that? My cousin whispered, yeah, can we go to your mom's room? In that moment I jumped up, flipped the lights on and ran to my mom's room. I experienced a lot of creepy things in that house, but nothing ever compared to that. I think it was because my older sister played with Ouija boards in that room and didn't know the rules, but that's another story. 
Hey friends, thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe and click that notification bell to be alerted of all future narrations. If you got a story, be sure to submit them to my subreddit, r let's read official, and give and receive feedback from the community, and maybe even hear your story featured on the next video. And join my Discord to interact with me and other listeners directly. And if you want to support me even more, grab early access to all future narrations for just $1 a month on Patreon, and maybe even pick up some Let's Read merch on Spreadshirt. And check out the Let's Read podcast, where you can hear all these stories in long compilation form and save huge on data, located anywhere you listen to podcasts. Links in the bio. Thanks so much, friends. And remember, Toaster Strudels will become the next Call of Duty. Duty.